This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Uh, for all of your wagering needs, go to the uh, Bet Rivers app and remember. In New York and New Jersey is Bet Rivers. In uh, Connecticut, it's Play Sugar House. Check out the app as you get ready for the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals, the Belmont Stakes, and obviously day-to-day uh, baseball as we go uh, through the summer and head towards another NFL season, which is, believe it or not, right around the corner. It is crazy, I know, but before you know it, we'll be talking about training camp opening up and quarterback battles and which teams are going to make huge strides this year. It comes very fast. It continues to go round and round, and it does here. Um, the Celtic Heat series will be remembered for years as one of the real bizarre series. Uh, to have a series play out the way it did, to have uh, the Heat win games one and two in Boston, uh, a very unlikely occurrence. And then in Game 3, just embarrassed the Celtics to where the Celtics were being ridiculed nationally, to have the Celtics bounce back and play well in Games 4 and 5, and then almost throw Game 6 away with both hands, to have the Celtics take a lead after uh, Jimmy Butler hits three free throws after having really the worst night of his career. Jimmy Butler actually running away from shots, actually showing no confidence, something he usually exudes on the floor. Uh, It was a one-night occurrence. He was back at the end of Game 6. He was back for Game 7, but it was a very strange occurrence. The tip-in, of course, that got Game 7, and then the feeling for a couple of days that how would the Heat possibly overcome that collapse? How would they overcome losing three games in a row and go to the Boston Garden and ever win Game 7 against their better team in front of that crowd? Well, yes, Tatum got an un- fair, you know, step on somebody's uh, foot and gets a sprained ankle on the first play of the game, an unfair break for him. But you know what? They were outplayed from soup to nuts. From the minute that game was 9-4 Boston to the rest of the game, Miami owned the game in every way. The Celtics couldn't make an outside shot. Their defense was lax compared to what they did in games 4, 5, and 6. They just completely collapsed as a team, and Miami was the better team in every possible way from three, and that was symbolic of this game and this series from from day one. Uh, Who shot the ball better from three was usually going to win. The Celtics had terrible game shooting in game six from three, but one. Uh, We're nine for 42 yesterday, 21% while... Miami made 14 threes. That was an enormous difference, but it was more than that. It was a confidence. It was their defense. It was the togetherness, and a lot of it had to do with the experience. Now, you can't expect a first-year coach who was thrust into a job days before training camp began because of what happened up in Boston. 
you cannot expect him to be what Spolstra is. And Spolstra is one of the great coaches in the history of the NBA. Spolstra started preparing his team in front of the microphone minutes after game six was over. He said, fine. The series is now 3-3. We will digest this, and we will find a way to win in Boston. He started 48 hours before, and his preparation was impeccable, mentally, physically, in every way, and that's why he is one of the great coaches. But there's an unsung hero in this series, and, and frankly, and this isn't to take anything away from Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is the heart and soul of that team. And he will have to be brilliant for them to have a chance, a chance in a series where they are huge underdogs and deserve to be big underdogs against Denver because Denver's been a better team and they have the best player in the league. Um, But Caleb Martin was the MVP of the series. There's no question about it, okay? A guy like Caleb Martin is probably not going to win an MVP. The MVP goes to stars. It's It's just like Super Bowls go to MVPs, go to quarterbacks. MVPs in NBA series go to stars. Even when somebody jumps up, it still goes to the stars. Martin was the reason that they won. They couldn't stop Martin. Last night, Jimmy Butler was 12 for 28 from the floor. Martin was 11 to 16 and had 10 rebounds. The game before, he had 16 rebounds. He was there for every big play, every big shot. He became... Not a good player in this series. He was a standout player in the series. Now, he doesn't profile as somebody who is going to, you know, he averaged nine points during the season. Doesn't profile as somebody who is going to win, you know, the Larry Bird Award in the Eastern Conference Finals. But he was their best player. And he was the reason why they won. Spolstra, Martin, then you start with Butler and everybody else, okay? Vincent had his moments. Uh, Robinson had his moments from three. Adebayo struggled a little bit in game six and seven, but has been brilliant in the playoffs before that and will have so much on him in this series. Miami's had an amazing season. What Riley has done with that franchise has been unbelievable. What Spolstra has done as their coach has been unbelievable. They are playing with house money. The Broncos, uh, the Broncos, the uh, Nuggets are a four to one favorite to win the series. I'll give you an even better stat. The Joker is minus one twenty five to average a triple double. Imagine that, not to get a triple double in a game or two. He is minus 125 to get a triple-double for this series. How much dominance is there in one player? Think about that. He is minus 125 to get a triple-double in this series. That is unbelievable. And he probably will. Because he gets 30 points and 10 to 12 to 13 rebounds and 10 to 12 to 13 assists every game. Because if he's singled, he scores, or he goes to the foul line. And if he's doubled, he makes a great pass to somebody who knocks down a three. Because they have so many three-point shooters, but they not only have 
four legitimate three-point shooters, they have size in their shooters. And Miami has no size. That's the big problem in this series. Miami has no size. I don't like Denver as a defensive team. You can tell me that since January, blah, 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 they're you know eighth in the league in defense. Nonsense. They're a bad defensive team. They're a terrific offensive team. They are a superb offensive team. Why? Because you can't double their star because they have so many weapons that he can throw the ball to for either layups or three-point open shots that it's very hard to deal with. They're going to rain threes down on you. I mean, their number two guy's averaging 28 points a game. And he's had 30-point halves in Murray. And you know they have other guys that can shoot and can bury shots, especially Porter and Pope. I mean, they just do. It's going to be a very tall order. But I'll tell you this, and know this, Miami's going to come and they're going to play hard. And I wouldn't be surprised if they at least won a couple of games. I don't think this is going to be a sweep. Um, I know it's going to be a very hard series for them to win games in. There's no question about it. It's a very, very severe matchup. I can't see them winning the series. I do think they will extend it to at least six games because I just think they have so much heart and so much toughness that they'll find a way to win a couple of games. And I'm hoping or looking at it from a standpoint of I just think Denver will have some defensive letdowns and allow Miami to steal a game here and there. But there's no question who the better team is, and that's why they're 4-1 favorites. I know nothing about the Panthers and the Golden Knights. I'm not going to tell you that I do. But here's what I will say. The Golden Knights are 30, uh, uh, minus 135, so it's plus 115 for the Panthers, minus 135 for the Golden Knights. Series starts in Vegas, obviously. I'm sure people will tell you Vegas is the better team, the deeper team. If they beat Boston, the Panthers, which they did, they can beat anybody. So that's the way I look at it. That's the way I would look at it. I'm rooting for the Panthers. I mean, I wouldn't call their owner a friend, but I've met him a bunch of times. He obviously is very involved in racing. Um, I know him. Say hello to. I don't know him very well, but I know him. You know, we chat in the, in the once in a while in the paddock in, in Saratoga. Um, I root for the underdog in the series. I hope they win. I'm rooting for the Heat too, but I don't think they'll win. I think the Panthers probably can win. I don't see why they can't. If they can beat Boston, why can't they beat anybody else? And they beat everybody else, so why not win now? Uh, I don't think the Heat would win. Can win. Uh, barring an injury to the Joker, I don't think they can win. I think he's just too good. And they just don't have what they need to match up with that team. But they'll be well prepped. They will put a lot of wrinkles in their zone. They will come up with some different ways to play. Maybe Butler uh, can steal a game here or there, and they can win a couple of games. That's how I look at it. But you know what? I'll be pulling for the Heat. I don't think they can win the series, though. That's just the way it goes. We know that uh, the Yankees 
best player, who's also the best player in the sport, um, put on a show last night as the Yankees went to Seattle. But let me first comment on a comment I made yesterday, and it's true. I don't understand baseball. From the, and baseball is having a great year because the rule changes they made have changed the game dramatically. Uh, I, I went to the game on Saturday, and you know what? The game moved the entire time. It was a really good game. 3-2 game, Yankees winning with a walk-off, okay. Padres made some nice plays. Uh, it was a crisp game, pitched well by both men. Um, you know what? There wasn't a lot of dead time. It was a very enjoyable pace to the game. Baseball's done a great job with that. What they did with the defenses and, and the shift worked. What they did with the clock worked. Give them credit for that. But why can't baseball understand how to reach people? They do a very poor job in this regard. They do a very poor job, and it's because of the money that they pay the players that the owners don't want to promote their players. The NBA does a much better job of promoting their stars than baseball does. Much better. And that's why if you get a 12-year-old, he knows every star in the NBA. He doesn't know every star in baseball. And remember, football is different. They have helmets on. It's hard, other than quarterbacks. For young people. Why would you not take the advantage of owning the summer holidays? There are three summer holidays, Memorial Day, the 4th of July, and Labor Day. Make it, and this puts three good off days into the entire schedule that players would like. Put three guaranteed off days into the body of the, of the schedule where they can get rest periods. They're spaced out nicely, number one, and play double headers. Single admission double headers on Memorial Day. Everybody plays and everybody participates in a double header on Memorial Day, 4th of July, and Labor Day. You do two things. Number one, you reward your fans by giving them a two games for the price of one. So when a guy can only go to one game a year with his kids, that gives him a chance to take his kids to a double header or maybe two double headers. When I was a kid, and my brother John was six and a half years older than me, and my, my younger brother, who's gone, was eight, uh, 20 months younger than me. But he would pack us up, whether it was the Yankees in town or the Mets in town, and as soon as he could drive, he would take us to Sunday doubleheaders. I remember seeing the White Sox in a doubleheader. I remember seeing the Tigers in a doubleheader. I remember seeing the Giants in a doubleheader. I remember seeing the Cincinnati Reds and Pete Rose in a doubleheader at the Polo Grounds. He would pack us up and take us to those Sunday doubleheaders. I still remember that since I was a kid. Except for my Little League, those were the first baseball games and the only baseball games I got to go to as a kid. And... It gives you a chance to get the youngsters into the ballpark. Baseball tickets are expensive. Not every guy can afford it. If he's working Monday to Friday, he doesn't have time to take his kids during the day. Maybe they go with their camp once. Maybe they go with their Little League once. You know what? That's not a great experience. They leave after the sixth inning. Okay. They sit in the boondocks. Okay. It's, it's not a great experience. 
not the same as going with your dad or going with someone who takes you from your family. Okay, if you have, don't have a dad. The bottom line is that's baseball missing an incredible opportunity. How can you have a gorgeous Memorial Day like yesterday and have no baseball game in New York? The biggest, the best, the greatest city in the world did not have a baseball game on Memorial Day. The Mets are off, traveling home, and the Yankees are in Seattle on a Memorial Day night. That's just wrong. That's just dumb. That's just dumb marketing of your product. Have a doubleheader in New York on Memorial Day. Have a doubleheader in L.A., in Chicago, in every. And you know what? You'll fill these ballparks everywhere with kids and with families. And that's what you're trying to do. Just makes no sense. We'll come back with your emails after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, so if you reach me with the emails, go to MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com. MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com. All right, I haven't looked at these yet. That's how I do them. Here we go, Ryan and Cherry Hill. Just a quick opinion, as I am in complete agreement with you that you uh, that all MLB teams should play. The reason I did this, I had tweeted it yesterday, so that's why it was out there. Uh, it's crazy that they don't. I'm also looking to spend a long weekend up in Saratoga in August. Do you have any recommendations on where to stay? Listen, there's plenty of hotels, but book them early because uh, the city of Saratoga is very hard to find a a room. And let me be honest with you, okay? There's some smaller hotels if, if price is an issue. In town, they double and triple the prices of the rooms in August. That's, all a, that's a fact, okay? They gouge you in August. Um, if you stay a couple of minutes down the road, if you stay even in two exits down the road or stay in Albany and it's a half hour to the track, you can get a room very cheaply. And it's only a half hour into the track and it's an easy ride. So you don't have to stay in August uh, in Saratoga. Now, is it an experience to stay in the town itself? Yes, it's a great town, but they're going to bang you over the head for any place to stay in town in August. So just take that into, into account. If, if money's an issue, stay down the road and drive in for the day. There's plenty of places to park, and this, you, or you could just go to the track and park anywhere and walk into town if you want afterwards. And you know what? Spend the day and then drive home. You know, when I first went to Saratoga, First time, I actually stayed in Albany and drove up. That's the first time I ever went. You know, and then it wasn't an issue for me, thankfully, after that. I just, you know, always stayed in town uh, before I actually stayed a lot of, you know, stayed for a long time and got into the business. Um, But uh, it's a great town to visit. You will have no one I ever recommend that goes to Saratoga and stops me at the track and says, hey, you know, I came because I... They always have a great time. It's a great couple of days. You will never be disappointed by the racetrack at Saratoga. It's not a day at the races. It's an event. You will love it. Everyone who does it goes back. Everybody who does it goes back. Matt in Virginia Beach. 
Wanted to see if you could give us your top player or two in each of the major sports, never to win a championship. Uh, um, well, obviously, in basketball, you have guys like Carl Malone and John Stockton, and you have Charles Barkley that never won championships. Uh, sure, there's other guys that I'm not thinking of that you know that didn't win championships too that are Hall of Famers, but there's a couple of good ones. I mean, Carl Malone and Charles Barkley are two that are great, great players and never won a championship. Dan Marino, obviously. Uh, you know, Fran Tarkenton never won a championship. Dan Marino never won a championship. Uh, Dan Fouts never won a championship. I mean, great, great, just giving you quarterbacks as an example. I can give you many players uh, at other positions that never won a championship. Uh, and in baseball, you know, there are many, many in baseball. That, didn't, that either never even played in a World Series or didn't win a World Series. So there's many, many. In, in baseball, you could add up a litany and litany. And in those days, it was never considered a knock. Until recent years, was it ever considered a knock not to win in baseball? Uh, John and Rockland. Um, now that Hopkins is an unrestricted free agent, do you believe the Giants and Giants should both make serious offers? I'd I have to know what, you know, Jets, no. Giants, maybe, but I'd have to really look at their outlay of how they finish up with their money before I make that decision because it's going to put a very... It's going to put a strain on any team. The Jets are not in a position to do that now, and I wouldn't do it. I don't think they have to. Um, The Giants, he would be helpful. But, again, it's going to be be very costly. So I'd have to look at where they finish up with everything before I make that decision. Um, Brian Islip, I'm completely in your with your take on Alonzo. That said, what do you think it will take to extend this contract and lock him in long-term? I don't think that will be an issue at all with the Mets. Alonzo's a Met. Uh, he is the Mets right now. Uh, he is the heart and soul of the franchise in every way, and there's no question it's not an issue. He will be paid handsomely, and he deserves it. He'll have earned it. He is a great slugger. He is a premier, consistent slugger, a generational slugger. So uh, there's no question. I mean, uh, Alonzo has a chance to hit 400 or 500 home runs as a Met. He's already hit 168 or something. So, I mean, he's well on his way. He's halfway there. Uh, Eric, with Lindor greatly underperforming the numbers he had in Cleveland, even though he is still a good shortstop, does it make the Mets think twice about giving him the contract? It should. You know, I was diametrically opposed to the contract. Uh, Was from the beginning. Lindor plays hard. He plays every day. He feels his position well. He is just not he is just not the consistent hitter. He has power. He knocks in runs, but he is not the consistent offensive player we thought he was going to be. And uh they, in my mind, grossly overpaid for him. That goes without saying. 
Uh, but he, the one thing I got to be fair about, he doesn't take time off, and he does produce runs, to be fair. I mean, even in this year, even in this year where his numbers are not what you want them to be, okay? I mean, he's not producing uh, anywhere near what you would hope for overall when you look at the body of work in terms of, you know, just the overall start that you would have hoped for for him. But, you know, he's hitting 225, but he's got 40 RBIs. In a third of a season, you got a starting shortstop who feels his position. His OPS is nowhere. You know, his 225 average, his 718 OPS is just awful. All right? Uh, plays every game. He's already got 15 doubles. He's already got nine homers. That's not a lot for him, but he'll still hit 25 to 30 homers. I have no doubt about that. He's got 39 RBIs, which is terrific. He does not walk. So the on-base percentage is dreadful. You can't have a guy in the middle of the order there be your guy that you want to be the other star and have him with a 225 average and a 295 on-base percentage. The only number that is acceptable right now from him is double numbers, fine. He's going to hit 40 doubles. His... Home runs, I don't worry about. They'll come in bunches. I don't worry about them. He'll hit his home runs. You know, last year, last year he hit 26 home runs and probably hit 25 this year. Uh, he, last year he scored 98 and knocked in 107. Uh, he's a little behind that on the run scored this year because he's not getting on base. So he has to pick up his run scored. And the reason, the only reason Alonzo doesn't have a million RBIs is because of the fact, I mean, uh, is because of Lindor. He would have even more. He's got 46 RBIs. And the guys like Nimmo get on base. See, I think I would make sure that I always had my two highest on-base percentage guys batting in front of Alonzo. Okay, that goes without saying. Now, if you want to leave Lindor in front of him because of his speed and stuff like that, I don't mind that. I think he'll improve. I can live with him and Alonzo. See, I think the Yankees make a big mistake with Judge. I think he should bat third, and you should put the two highest. Now, I understand the Yankees don't have anybody with a high on-base percentage, but I think... When he starts going well, the Mayu will have a high enough on base percentage. So I would now I don't love Torres, but I understand Volpe can't be your number one. They don't have a legitimate guy. If they had a three seventy five on base guy in to lead off for the Yankees. And then had, like, LeMayu batting second, Judge third, and Rizzo fourth. You know how many RBIs Judge would get under normal circumstances? See, right now, the guys in front of Judge, nobody has any on-base percentages. Yankees don't have anybody with on-base percentages when you look at it. I mean, the only guys that, you know, are living with that at all are, you know, 
are obviously having Judge, who has a 400 on base percentage, and Rizzo. Then you go down to Torres, this is why he's batting leadoff, because he's got a 340. LeMayu is only 317. Volpe's got a 227%. They don't have any high on base percentage guys on the team. So that's why it really curtails judges' RBIs. You could put Rizzo in front of Judge, but he's not fast. You saw that when the Yankees screwed up the first inning the other day on Saturday when they sent Rizzo with one out, which was a mindless act, and got him thrown out at the plate, and then they didn't score again for six innings. The bottom line is they would have, could have had a big inning. Should have been second and third and one out. Instead, you got two outs and a runner on third, and the inning's over when Beta strikes out. Um, that was a mistake. Rizzo doesn't run well enough. But I do not like Judge batting second. I would bat him third. Okay? The Yankees think they're picking. They, you know, they're into this whole thing, and they think that it's a big deal to have him bat second and, you know, pick up these extra at-bats. Um, if you do the work, okay, if you do the, the overall work on how many at-bats you're going to gain batting second, batting third over, over a 10-game span, uh, my understanding is it's one at bat over 10 games. So what are you gaining by batting judge second? One at bat over 10 games between second and third? It's not enough. Bat him third. I would absolutely bat him third. Um, Paul emails. I'm old enough to remember that you would call into the I Am A Show after The Sopranos and talk the episodes with Don. I did do that for a long time, yeah. Don got into The Sopranos after it was already on, and I used to call in and do that. I did, yes. Uh, I specifically recall you and Don discussing season four. Uh, I don't remember how. I, I don't know if I called after every episode. I don't remember, to be honest with you. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I watched The Sopranos from the beginning. I got into it right away. I got into it before a lot of other people did, before the bandwagon really grew. Um, uh, I just, I loved it from the day it was on. I loved Gandolfini. Um, got to meet him a bunch of times. Dog and I went over and watched them do the show a couple of times. Uh, Gandolfini was, he's not a sports guy. You know, we used to always ask him to come on the show, and he used to go, I'm not going on the show. I, I can't talk sports. I'm not a sports fan. I root for Rutgers because he went there. Uh, but he says, I, I, I'm not a sports guy in any way. The only reason I know you guys is, he says, because I listen to you all the time because my driver has you on in the car when I'm driving back and forth, and I, I got to listen to you guys a lot, and I, I, I liked it, so I listened. He said, I get a kick out of it. He said, but uh, that's the only reason. I'm not a sports guy. Uh, and he wasn't, but I'd see him at a bunch of different things and everything through the years, and he's a great loss because he was a great, great actor. He really was. But his role of, uh, of uh, Tony Soprano is one of the iconic roles of all time. Um, 
I have not watched Succession. I know I'm in the, I can't believe how many people have said to me, you, you know, I have some friends who are in the business. They're like, you haven't watched Succession? I'm like, no. And they want to talk about it. I say, don't tell me because I, I want to start it from the beginning. And I haven't watched one episode. Now, it's hard to stay away from because everybody's always analyzing it and everybody's always talking about it. And now I know it's ended. Uh, uh, so it's gotten a lot of attention. I've tried to stay away from all of that. I really have. Uh, but I have not watched it. But everyone says it's that good. Now, if it's Sopranos good, that is saying saying a lot. See, some of the other series I don't like. Like Game of Thrones, not a chance. I can't watch stuff like that. I don't like scientific stuff. I don't like space stuff. I don't like uh, gory stuff. I don't like... Uh, uh, there's no way I'm ever watching Game of Thrones. And in a thousand years, not a chance. Okay? I don't like those kind of shows. Uh, but I will watch Succession. I did watch Breaking Bad, and I'll tell you something. It was utterly brilliant. Brilliant. And Cranston is an incredible actor. Yeah, just a great, great actor. Really is. Um, and, you know, one of those guys, uh, like Brian Fox, who has, you know, come to stardom at an older age after being a wonderful character actor for a very long time. Uh, but uh, good for them. And everyone says Succession's that good. I promise that when it, like that, this winter, when, you know, when you have down days and nothing's going on and it's a, you're in New York and you're not in Florida and it's lousy weather and stuff, you sit down and watch five or six episodes. So I, I will do that, I promise. Give me something to do and some good television to watch. I haven't seen it. I have not watched the Air movie yet uh, because in the summer I don't watch that many movies. I, I know that movie's gotten good uh, very good reviews. I like Ben Affleck. I like Matt Damon. I like those guys. Um, uh, so I, I will watch that too. Uh, that's a good movie. Uh, got good reviews. So, and it's some topic that I'm very familiar with. So we'll see what happens. Um, as far as uh, where the Yankees and Mets are right now, here, here's my take on the Yankees. After watching them the other day, um, here's the first thing I thought of. I don't mind kind of fluff as a utility man, and I know he got the walk-off hit that day, and I know he's a Boone favorite and a very good team guy. I mean, he'll do anything. He'll catch. He'll do anything. I understand that. And he's a good utility man. But you cannot be the New York Yankees and have a bottom of the order that looks like that. And you cannot be the New York Yankees and have those guys playing corner outfield for you. Okay? I understand it was a boon day. It was a uh, judge day off. I understand that. I understand Bader's a center fielder and judge is the right fielder. So it's really only left field. But even in left field, you cannot have a banjo hitting corner outfielder for the New York Yankees. I'm sorry. The Yankees don't have banjo hitting corner outfielders. Yankee corner outfielders do damage. Yankee corner outfielders find the right field porch, okay? They're a threat to come up and hit a home run. They're at least Oscar Gamble, okay? They, you want the Yankee outfielder to be able to come up and be able to reach the right field seats with some regularity, all right? That's the Yankees. You don't start banjo hitters in corner outfielders for the New York Yankees. 
I mean, come on. So I, I think the bottom of their order is woefully weak. I don't, I think they could get a lift, especially from Severino, threw the ball really well the day I was there. I mean, he really was very good. Really was very good. Um, and he can give you a lift in that rotation. They can also make a move. I think they need to get another player. I think they need a they need a high offense. They need a high on base percentage outfielder, corner outfielder, high on base percentage guy who has a little pop, not a lot of pop, but fifteen homer pop and a high on base percentage that they could put in the top of the lineup. That's what they need. Who can set the table for Judge? They need a leadoff hitter badly. They don't have a Volpe can't lead off. You're putting a lot of pressure on him to lead off. They tried. It doesn't work. He doesn't walk enough. And, you know, you can't have a guy with a 200 on base percentage leading off. doesn't work. Torres is leading off, and he's not a leadoff guy. You know that. But he's got a 330 on base percentage, so he's leading off. LeMayu, on his good days, is a guy who could bat the top of the order, but he's been struggling. He hit that day I was there, but he's been struggling. Had a double and a homer that day. But he's always hit Walker well. You know, Judge went into that against Walker that day. He got a hit in the first inning, but went into that 0 for 15. And Torres went into it 0 for 13. And he didn't get a hit off Walker. They got robbed once, though. Um, Yankees have some holes. But here's the other thing they have. They don't have one guy that you can count on out of that pen to lock the games down. Now, they have some arms on their good day, but... I don't trust any of them. Now, for the Mets, I think the obvious thing is, when do you, when do you decide, if you're Buck, when do you decide to make the move and slide the kid up the lineup? Okay? He's paid his dues. All right? Two years ago, Omar told me, we got this kid in the minors who is really going to rake in the major leagues. And he told me his name was Francisco Alvarez. He said he is going to really rake in the major leagues. And last year he came up and, you know, in a spotty appearance, he didn't do much. All right, but let's, let's be honest. He only had a handful of at-bats last year. And... Now, he's on fire, okay? He's got, he's hitting 425 in his last 25 at-bats. If you want to go 54 at-bats, he's hitting 315 with seven home runs. If you want to go his last 25 at-bats, he's got four homers and 10 RBIs, and he's hitting 423. Let's see him hit fifth. Put him behind Alonzo. Let him hit in a rarefied air. Let him prove he can't. You got nothing up there where you have anybody who's swinging like this kid. This kid's now got eight homers and 20 RBIs and 100 at-bats. He was known to be a guy who, once he was comfortable, was going to dominate, which he has on every level. This kid's 21 years old. Ball jumps off his bat. 
it's time to slide them up the lineup. I understand you don't want to do it too fast, but you know what? You've given him 100 at-bats. Now he's gotten red hot. Make the lineup scary. Make somebody go through Lindor, you know, go through Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo, and Alvarez. That's not easy. That's not easy at all. Let the kid go bat in the top part of the lineup. It's going to help Alonzo. And it's going to give this kid a chance to drive in a heck, a heck of a lot of runs. And you know what? Might not be too long where they pitch around Pete pitch to this kid if he does a heck of a lot of damage. Because this kid, he can stick. That was always the book on him. I remember Omar telling me. He says, we got this kid. I'm telling you right now. He is going to be a big bat. And this is the kid he mentioned. And he's a little bowling ball, but you know what? He can really, really hit. All right. He's going to have his days behind the plate, but you know, we know that. But he can hit. So it's time uh, to let him see the light of day. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.